All right. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? Good to see you all today. It's hard to believe that just a week ago, we had four inches of snow on the ground. After the week we just went through with a couple days in the well into the 70s and then rain and more rain and and even more rain after that, which I love rain. It just slows me down a little bit. But uh, it's good to see you all. Um, last Sunday, I was supposed to teach Sunday school class. And uh, on Saturday, I was working at uh, my part-time job at Hershey's Chocolate World. And I knew from looking at the weather forecast that it was supposed to snow. But I wasn't sure if it was going to be enough snow that anything last Sunday would be canceled. And so I'm at Chocolate World, and I was talking to a couple of the coworkers there. It's like, hey, let me know when it starts snowing. And uh, sure enough, it was just, just a little bit before 4 o'clock. It started snowing, and it's like, okay, how much is it going to snow? And it looked like it was coming down pretty good. And this, this is going to sound really terrible. Please don't think evil of me, but I was thinking maybe it'll snow enough that Sunday school will be canceled, and I won't have to teach. I know this sounds really bad, but you're gonna, the lesson we're going to teach today, it wasn't coming together for me. It just wasn't, it wasn't formulating right. So I turned to, uh, I turned to Julia uh, one of my coworkers, and I said, your dad's still deacon, isn't he? Um, can you have him call pastor and the other deacons up and cancel Sunday school for tomorrow? That's really terrible. I know it is. But uh, I was just thinking, since I'm not quite ready in my mind and in my heart, maybe it'd be better if we, we had everything canceled. So we left about 6.30, went outside, and the vehicles are covered in snow. I'm thinking, there's no way they're going to have Sunday school. But I, re- I was looking at the weather forecast, and once the sun came out, it was going to warm up, and everything was going to melt quickly. So I'm thinking, okay, how quickly does all that happen? And so the evening's going on, and I'm, I'm, I'm jotting notes down and trying to get everything organized in my mind. Then about, I think about 10.48 was what time the email went out that said Sunday school was canceled. And 10.52, I got a text from, from Jules saying, hey, no Sunday school tomorrow. So, okay, once again, it was, for me, it was like, <sighs> so I figured I'm off the hook. Last Sunday, came in for the service. It was a great service last Sunday morning. Um, afterwards, I was just, I was talking to some folks, and then I was just heading out of the auditorium, and coming, a voice coming from the side door, George, George, and it's Pastor Art, who's in charge of the, the Psalms class. He quick, I said, oh no, he's going to see if I can teach this lesson next Sunday. And sure enough, that's exactly what he did. It's like, don't you have two lessons yet to teach? He said, well, here's what I'm thinking, and he explained what he, what he was thinking about, and uh, he says, can you teach next Sunday? And I had no reason to say no. So here I am with you guys again today, but it should be good. It should be good. We're going to be in Psalm 60. Psalm 60 today, if you want to turn there a while. Two weeks ago when Pastor Arb was teaching, I wasn't able to be here. I was working my full-time job that day. But uh, I went back and listened to the, to the message online, to the lesson online. And the lesson was from Psalm 18 with its context in 2 Samuel 22. I'm thinking, even though it was a long psalm, that was an easy one because the context of 2 Samuel 22 matched up perfectly just about with Psalm 18. So it's like, okay, you can almost go verse for verse and just explain. And David at the time, he was finishing up a lot of his battles and he was pretty much had uh, ended his military campaigns, he was able to reflect back and talk about even though adversities were happening throughout his life, he was able to look back and reflect on a lot of the victories that God had given him. Today's psalm 
is just, it's intriguing what the, the lesson's about. Uh, the context is going to be in Second Sam, uh, yeah, Second Samuel chapter 8. So if you kind of want to hold a finger in Psalm 60 and go to Second Samuel chapter 8, that's where our context is going to be. And two verses primarily, verses 13 and 14, it's going to talk about how Israel had a, a battle against the Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Um, so I'm thinking, okay, that's going to be the context of the lesson that I'm going to be teaching today. So that's why I said in my mind, everything wasn't coming together. So what I decided to go back to do is I went back to chapter 1 of Second Samuel. At the very end of First Samuel, King Saul and his son Jonathan are killed, and Israel's kind of now, okay, what's going to happen next? We all know that David, way back when, was crowned to be the anointed to be the next king of Israel after Saul's ministry was done, whenever that was going to be. Even though there was all these tensions between Saul and David, he knew, David knew, Saul knew, Jonathan knew that David was going to be the future king of Israel. So you're think, I'm, I'm, this is how my mind thought before I read through 2 Samuel. Once Saul's dead, David becomes king, right? That makes sense. In chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, David's lamenting over the loss of the king. More than anything, he was respectful of who God had put in place as king. Whether he agreed with him or not, that never comes out. David was always respectful that this is the king. This is who I'm going to honor because of his position. So he goes through chapter 1 lamenting the loss of Saul, the loss of his son Jonathan. Chapter 2 in 2 Samuel starts out, David takes over as king, but does he take over as king as all of Israel? What part of Israel is he king over? I think Pastor Art mentioned this two weeks ago as well. Which, which portion, which region, which tribe? Judah, right. The tribe of Judah is who he was king over and that's it. So it was just a small region. His capital was just south of Jerusalem. We'll mention the significance of Jerusalem here in, uh, toward the end of the lesson. But uh, his capital was in Hebron, uh, Hebron, if you want to call it that. But uh, that's where the capital city was for Judah and David in his ministry there. Chapter 2 goes on to say what happens to the rest of Israel. Abner, if you know the name, was kind of Saul's main military general. And Abner decides to take one of Saul's sons, who was still alive, Ishbosheth, and anoint him as king over the rest of Israel, uh, the tribe of Benjamin and all of Israel. So Ishbosheth is the king over this region, and David is the king over Judah. So we're going to see what happens to the rest of the story now. In chapter 2, let me see. If you want to just peek back there, chapter 2, we'll try to tie some of these points together. Uh, Chapter 2, David becomes king, Ishbosheth succeeds Saul, and then there's a war between Israel and Judah. As I was reading through chapter 2, it was interesting. The two main generals of the, of the different regions, Joab, who's David's main military leader, and Abner, who's Ishbosheth's main military leader, they get together one day by this pool in Gibeon. It says they're on opposite sides of the pool, and they have some of their young soldiers, I guess, who were there with them, and... Tell you what, let's read the story. Just, it's, it doesn't reflect on the lesson, but if, as we go through the history here, we're going to lead right up into what, what's taking place in chapter 8. Second uh, Samuel 2, verse 13. And Joab the son of Zariah and the, and the, serv- of the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon. They sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and play before us. 
I'm not sure exactly what that's referring to. What, is there going to be some little game that they're playing? Are they going to go out and test their, their manhood and see who's stronger and faster and all these things? And Joab said, okay, let them arise. Then there went out, so then there arose and went over by number 12 of Benjamin, which pertained to Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. So here's this 12 on 12. Okay, more than just a basketball game of five on five or hockey with six on six, or I don't know why I'm making all these correlations, or baseball with a nine on nine, or football with 11 on 11. Here's 12 on 12 going out to play, whatever that meant. First, uh, next verse, verse 16. So as they're, <laughs> I'm trying to picture what this thing was all about. What was this playing they were doing? Verse 16, they caught everyone the 12 on 12, his fellow by the head, thrust his sword into his fellow's side, so they fell down together. Wherefore, that place was called Helkath Hazarim, which is, which is in Gibeon. This 12 on 12 battle ends with 24 dead guys. I, I didn't understand the purpose of it, okay? But what it does is it, it kind of fuels a battle that's about to take place. Verse 17, and there was a very sore battle that day, and Abner was beaten, and the men of Israel before the servants of David. So this little 12-on-12 skirmish leads to a whole battle between Joab's army and Abner's army. Well, Joab gets the best of Abner, and so they kill a number of people. If we were to look down later on in the chapter, I think it was 360 people of Abner's army die, and only 20 of Joab's army die. Well, the thing is, verse number 18, and there were three sons of Zariah. These names uh, are familiar with, especially the first two, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Asahel was as light as, a, as foot as a wild roe. I always remember the story from hearing it way back as a kid. So there was this really fast guy, and what he does is Asahel decides to chase down Abner and kill him because this is what's happening in the battle now. Now, let's, let's reflect just for a moment. We'll, see, we'll tie this in later on. But this is Judah going up to fight against Israel. What seems strange and odd about that? They're, they're all Jews. They're, they're, they're kind of brothers, so to speak. It's almost like, if you want to compare it in a small way, to our civil war that took place back in the 1860s. It's like, this should not have been happening Okay, they should not have been fighting with each other, but with the division that's happening in the, in the nation of Israel at the time. So, fleet of foot Asahel chases down Abner, and Abner's trying to get away from him, realizing this isn't going to happen. There's no way I can outrun this guy. So, he tries to talk him into just walking away. Well, Asahel's having nothing to do with this. He's thinking, no way. I'm going to capture you, and I'm going to kill you. Instead, Abner's able to thrust his spear at Asahel and kill him instead. Well, What's that going to do to Joab and Abishai? They've, their younger brother's just been killed, so now they're hotly pursuing after Abner. And this is, the story's told out in chapter 2. I don't want to go through each of the verses here because we want to get into the lesson today. But uh, Joab and, and, and Abishai catch up with Abner, and he says, uh, what are you doing here? Do we want to keep this battle going, or do we want to kind of make a truce for a time uh, we shouldn't be fighting with each other. And they do, the situation warrants a, a peaceful resolution to it. So they do stop the battle and they kind of go to their separate corners, so to speak, for a period of time. Chapter 3, um, verse number, if you, look, if you have a heading to verse number 6, my Bible has, Abner decides, decides to join David. In the meantime, 
Abner is having some disagreements with his king, with Ishbosheth, mostly because Abner was trying to steal one of Ishbosheth's concubines, which sure would make the king a little bit upset. So Abner decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to switch sides. I'm going to go over to David's side and kind of help him out. And in order to prove to David that he's legitimate, he's going to switch sides and become one of his loyal servants now, he decides, I know what David's going to want. And David even spells it out in chapter 3 there. If you remember way back when David had conquered, had defeated Goliath, part of the reward, so to speak, that was promised to him by King Saul, practically was anything that he wanted. And one thing that David wanted was one of Saul's daughters. Anybody remember her name? It's, it, what's that? Michael, it looks like. Um, Pastor pronounces it Michelle sometimes. I don't know if it's because he has a daughter by that name that just makes sense to him. I don't know how it's pronounced either. I tried to look up phonetically. What does this look like? Mikhail? I don't know. However you want to pronounce it, I don't... I, anyway, Saul's daughter is given to David as his wife, and she's enamored with David. She thinks David's all that. And so they get married. Uh, that's one of his wives that he has. Well, when David was on the outs with Saul and was kind of banished from the kingdom, Saul talk his, took his daughter back and gave her to somebody else. So this period of years has gone by now where David no longer has his wife. Well, what he wants from Abner, if you want to prove your loyalty to me, get my wife back. That's exactly what he does. So he, t- he takes Michal, Michael, from her husband. If you were to read the verses, it says the husband comes after her, weeping and crying, saying, no, you can't take my wife away. But he does. He brings her back to David. David's happy about this. He gets his wife back, and so he sets up a feast for, uh, for Abner. Okay, he's loyal to me now. Guess who's not happy about this? Well, Michael is at the time. We're going to get to her a little bit later. But uh, Joab and Abishai, wait a minute. This is our enemy. He killed our brother. You can't bring him over here. So as we go into chapter 4, even after David has this feast for Abner's uh, benefit, uh, no, it's still in chapter 3. The title, the the heading above verse 22 for me says, Joab kills Abner. So Joab's thinking, okay, you came over to our side. That's not going to work for me. So he tracks Abner down, ends up killing him. We could read more to the context of how David says, okay, Abner's blood isn't on me, it's on Joab instead, but that's a whole other context there. But so Abner's now out of the picture. Chapter 4, Ishbosheth is still king over the northern tribe of, of Benjamin and, and the Israel there. Two of Ishbosheth's captains get together and said, you know what? We know what can help unify this, this nation of Israel again. We are going to assassinate our king, Ishbosheth. And that's what happens. Chapter 4, Ishbosheth is assassinated. So these two captains kill Ishbosheth while he's in his bed. They cut his head off and they take it to David, thinking, ha, guess what we did? We got your mortal enemy. How's David going to feel about this? Remember, we talked about before where's David's loyalty been even before he was made king? It's to who? To Saul and to his family. So how's David going to react to this whole thing with these two captains bringing Ishbosheth's head to him? No, that doesn't go over well. So David has these men killed because of their dishonor to King Saul and to his family. And that's what happens at the end of chapter four. So Ishbosheth's now dead. 
Anybody remember how long, I think Pastor Art even mentioned it uh, two weeks ago, how long was, kings, uh, was David king over Judah, over that in Hebron? Anybody remember specifically? It's between seven and eight years. Guess what it is? Seven and a half. Sorry, I do that to the kids all the time. It's between five and seven. Oh, seven and a half years he was king over Hebron. Um, in, chap- in chapter five, it says David also becomes king over all of Israel. Capital city was in Hebron when he was king over Judah. The capital of Israel under Saul was, I think it was Gibeon, if I remember correctly. And so David wants to establish a a different capital city over all of Israel. And even pastor, I think, in last Sunday's message, was talking about the city of Jebus, which became known as Jerusalem. He captures Jerusalem, and Jerusalem becomes his capital city in chapter number 5. Uh, He has some battles with the Philistines in chapter 5 as well. Chapter 6, he's able to get the Ark of the Covenant, bring it back to Jerusalem. And these are just some of the, I'm just trying to tie in all the history that's happening from the beginning of 2 Samuel as we go into chapter 8. In chapter 7, David has this desire to, since the Ark of the Covenant has been brought brought to Jerusalem, let's build a temple now so we can house the Ark of the Covenant so God will have a place to dwell, so to speak. And most of you know the story. God says, no, you're a man of war. I'm going to let one of your heirs uh, have that task of building the temple to house the Ark of the Covenant. Then we jump into chapter 8. Anybody have a title to chapter 8 in 2 Samuel? At the top there. What's that? Okay, David defeats the Philistines. There's several skirmishes that take place in chapter 8. It's kind of some of David's military successes. He's going to go to battle against the Philistines. He's going to go to battle against the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Syrians, several of these different nations surrounding Israel. He's going to go fight against and defeat each of them. And that's going to lead us ultimately to verses 13 and 14, which is going to be kind of the main context of our story today. So let's start, I'm going to jump down to near the tail end of verse number 10 of 2 Samuel chapter 8, then we'll read down through verse 14. So 2 Samuel 8, about three quarters of the way through verse number 10, and Joram brought with him vessels of silver, vessels of gold, and vessels of brass, which also King David did dedicate unto the Lord with the silver and gold that he had dedicated of all nations, which he subdued, of Syria, Moab, of the children of Amnon, and of the Philistines, and of Amalek, and of the spoil of Hadadezer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And David got him a name. David became very popular now. A name when he was returning from smiting of the Syrians in the Valley of Salt, being 18,000 men. And he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom put he garrisons. And all they of Edom became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. That's going to be the main context, those last couple of verses, that's going to lead us into Psalm 60. So yeah, but let's go to the notes, and uh, let's fill in some of the blanks. before On the front page, where it says the psalm and their stories, historical review of 2 Samuel 1 through 8. Now, I just went over this stuff. Now, we just want to plug in some of the blanks. After the death of Saul, David is finally crowned king, but only over his own tribe of Judah, and that was for seven and a half years. Meanwhile, Saul's son, Ishbosheth is declared king over his tribe, Benjamin, and the rest of Israel. But some political upheaval begins to occur in Israel at this time, from chapter 3 and chapter 4. The captain of Israel's army, what was his name? Abner, decides to change sides to gain David's favor and trust. He arranges for the release of 
Michael, Mikhail, Michelle, to be returned to David, M-I-C-H-A-L. Abner's loyalty to David does not... Re- I guess I should slow down, let you guys catch up with the notes there, but Abner's loyalty to David does not resonate well with Joab, with Joab and Abishai, his brother, as well. So Joab ends up uh, killing Abner for the murder of his brother Asahel. Letter C. We've, we've just gone over all this stuff, so I just want to fill in the blanks. Two of Ishbosheth's captains assassinate and behead him, King Ishbosheth, and they carry his head to David, who subsequently has these men killed for their dishonor to the family of King Saul. Jumping into chapter 5, David is now crowned king over all of Israel. Letter A, we just touched on this. Jerusalem is established as his capital city. The Ark of the Covenant is brought to Jerusalem. And then letter C, David desires to build a temple to house the Ark of the Covenant. God promises that David's heir, we know later on to be Solomon, would carry out the task. And then in number four, as king over all of Israel, David's military successes continue. Uh, Letter A, he has the battles that he wins over Syria, Moab, Ammon, uh, Philistia, and Amalek. And then letter B, David, Joab, and Abishai's victory over the Edomites. And the reason I list all three of them there is because of just a little bit of discrepancy we're going to touch on real quick, and then we're going to jump into the to the notes from uh, Psalm 60. But uh, we read the verses there in uh, 2 Samuel 8. David gat him a name when he returned from smiting of the Syrians in the Valley of Salt, being 18,000 men. So all indications here in verse number 13. Now, the, 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 the word Syrians there could be interchanged for the Edomites because in verse 14 it talks about the Edomites. So it seems like David's battle was specifically against the Edomites. So it says David here had a battle against the Edomites and killed 18,000 men. Let's turn quickly, just for a minute here, over to 1 Chronicles 18. We know the First and Second Chronicles chronicle a lot of Israel's history, uh, all through their history as a nation. Um, but specifically in 1 Chronicles chapter 18, we kind of see this story repeated or chronicled a little bit later on. Verse number 12, 1 Chronicles 18, verse number 12, a little bit different. Moreover, Abishai, the son of Zariah, slew of the Edomites in the Valley of Salt, 18,000 men, and he put up the garrisons in Edom. So, in 2 Samuel chapter 8, David has this battle against the Edomites and kills 18,000 men. In 1 Chronicles 18, it says it was Abishai that had this battle against the Edomites and kills 18,000 men. And then we go to our context. We're going to go for the rest of the class, Psalm 60. So now if you want to, you can lose all your fingers and just focus on Psalm 60, we're going to be the rest of class. And I know Pastor Art has touched on these throughout several of his lessons. There's different titles that are attributed to the different Psalms. They're not part of inspired Scripture, so to speak. They weren't necessarily put there by the author himself. It could have been by others later on as they were chronicling the Psalms, writing them down. But 
there is some, some legitimacy to them, some truth to them that we could hold on to. Some of them are hard to figure out. But this one specifically, you, you all should have this in your Bibles above Psalm 60. To the chief musician upon Shushan Edith, Mictum of David, to teach. When he strove with Aram Naharim and with Aram Zobah, when Joab returned and smote of Edom in the Valley of Salt, 12,000. So we have a discrepancy here. 2 Samuel 8 said it was David. 1 Chronicles 18 said it was Abishai. The title to Psalm 60 said it was Joab defeating the Edomites. Which was it? Thoughts real quick before we move on? Why, why would all three be listed in what appears to be the same battle? What do you think? Let's first of all, why was David, David's name listed there? David is now king over what? All of Israel. Okay, Does he have more responsibilities than just being in charge of his army that he, that he kind of looked, uh, looked over before? He has a lot more responsibilities now as king over all of Israel. So it's more than likely that David sent out Joab as his main general, and Joab's right-hand man was his brother Abishai. So those two guys are the ones that are leading the battles. So why was David given credit in Second Samuel chapter 8? He's the commander-in-chief. He's new to this whole being king over all of Israel, so his name needs to be exalted. His name needs to be seen for all the people to realize this is who we want to follow. So that only makes sense that David's going to get credit for this, though the actual battles themselves probably took place with Joab and Abishai. Now, as I was reading what different authors had to say about this, it seems like Joab's kind of cleaning up the, the battles that they had against Moab and Philistia and Ammon and, and all these other nations. He seems to be focusing on that, and he sends Abishai away, hey, take care of the situation with the Edomites. If you have any trouble, I'll come help you. And that seems like what happens. So 1 Chronicles 18 shows Abishai is getting the credit for the battle here. Then the top of uh, Psalm 60 there seems to show that it was Joab. Well, Joab is the general. Joab is the one that's in charge of the army. He just distributes it to his different captains to take care of some, some of the other battles. Then the other discrepancy, if, you, if we, we looked in 1 Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel 8 and 1 Chronicles 18, it said that how many Edomites were killed? 18,000 title of Psalm 60, Joab returned, smote of Edom in the Valley of Salt, 12,000. Now, we know in copying there could be discrepancies made, but it's a good chance that as Abishai was kind of heading up the battle, that he maybe have killed 6,000. When Joab comes and helps him out, maybe the other 12 were included in that. That's why it's, it says 12,000 were attributed to Joab. We're not, we don't know that for sure. But that's the context that's happening. So let's look at a couple of the notes on the flip side of your page there where it says Psalm 60, David reflecting back over the military battles of 2 Samuel 8. The title, okay? It's a national psalm for Israel to be taught to the people. That's what it says there in the title. To the chief musician upon Shushan Edith, victim of David, to teach. These things are recorded that they can be taught throughout all of Israel to remember all of the things that God did for the nation of Israel. So this psalm was to be taught to all the people of Israel. Letter B, after the victory over Edom, was it a victory by David, Joab, or Abishai? That's what goes in the blanks there. We just explained that. And was it a victory over 12,000 or 18,000? 
We kind of just touched on that as well. So that's what's happening in the title. I'm not going to dive into depth with the other Shushan Edith, something about the lily of the fields, a mictum of David. One author I wrote said a mictum was a secret. Another one says a mictum was a golden psalm. So what was it? Uh, what's all going on here? The Aram Naharim and Aram Zoba seems to be the Arameans, which was a, a broad name for a lot of these different nations that David was able to conquer. So we're not going to dive into the, the title itself. Let's look now more into the psalm that's happening with, uh, with David in Psalm 60. What's he reflecting back on? So number two in your notes under Psalm 60 there, Israel's affliction. Israel's affliction, verses 1 through 4. Why does the psalm about victories start out with some complaints? I'll tell you what, let's read the psalm, and then we'll break it down. Psalm 60, verse number 1, O God, thou hast cast us off, thou hast scattered us, thou hast been displeased, O turn thyself to us again. Thou hast made the earth to tremble, thou hast broken it, heal the breaches thereof, for it shaketh. Thou hast showed thy people hard things. Thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Selah. That thy beloved may be delivered, saved with thy right hand, and hear me. God hath spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and meet out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the strength of mine head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Philistia, triumph thou because of me. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? Wilt not thou, O God, which hast cast us off? And thou, O God, which didst not go out with our armies? Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man." Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Now let's break down Psalm 60. We're going to divide it into three main sections, verses 1 through 4, 5 through 8, and then 9 through 12. Verses 1 through 4, we already mentioned, is Israel's affliction. So why is it? Why does David start out with some complaints, even though, as the title says, Joab, Abishai, David, they've just had this great victory over the Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Valley of Salt, just for, uh, if you're curious seems to indicate a region just south of the Dead Sea, uh, just a region there with some rock, uh, some kind of rock formations that were salt. I mean, what's, what do we know about the Dead Sea? I think I mentioned this several weeks back when I, I referred back to the Binkleys there because we had both in, been in Israel uh, a year apart. But one of the cool things was going down to the Dead Sea and floating because I could never float before. When I would jump into the pool, I would just go to the bottom like an anchor. But in the Dead Sea, I was able to float because of the dense salt content. That has nothing to do with anything, but the uh, Valley of Salt was just south of the Dead Sea there. Um, The reason why the complaints, letter A, all was not always well for Israel during David's life. Okay? That's kind of why I gave some of that history through Second Samuel chapters 1 through 8, leading up to the verses that we talked about today, because things didn't always go well. We had David only being crowned king over part of Israel. We had, so we had a divided nation for a time. Then we had the 
Abner, Joab, and Joab's brother situation. We had Ishbosheth being assassinated. We have the battles continuously with the Philistines. If we want to even go back to 1 Samuel and the conflicts with, with under Israel, under Saul, with uh, David and everything. So not, things had always, hadn't always been well for Israel during David's life, though he is assured that God will favor the nation once again. He mentions that in verse number one. Turn thyself to us again, he says at the end of verse number one. But look at the, some of the words David uses in, in, chapter, in, in, in Psalm 60. O God, thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displeased. Have you ever fought, felt that way with your relationship with God? I know I've fallen on my knees and said, God, I know you're not happy with me right now. Please forgive me and, and just keep my eyes, keep my focus where it needs to be on you. So we can look back at our lives sometimes and realize God isn't always happy with us. He's been displeased. We feel we're scattered. We're, we're away from his presence, which isn't always a fun place to be. It's never a fun place to be. Verse 2, thou hast made the earth to tremble. Thou hast broken it. Heal the breaches thereof, for it shaketh seems like an earthquake's going on around us. Now, a lot of this was the political upheaval that was happening at the time. Do you ever feel that even in our country, that things aren't always stable? I'm sure many of you get more wrapped up into the politics than I do. I just kind of avoid it. I remember um, my last year in Honduras, uh, we were talking about Obama finishing his term, and this was before we even knew the different candidates coming up for the the election in, in 2016, but uh, <laughs> uh, Harold, my friend, was a big conspiracy theorist, and so he said, you know what's going to happen? He says, Obama's going to change the Constitution, he's going to be able to run for a third term, and he's just going to be president forever. And I'm thinking, Harold, that's not going to happen. He says, hey, who knows? You never know what's going to happen. So there's political upheaval at times, and, and people look at different situations and where our country is and, and get a little nervous about it. We, we continually hear stories of shootings and things like that. It's just, the, the situations are just, they're devastating, they're sad. So all around us, does it feel like an earthquake's happening? And we just want stability. We just want to be able to, to live our lives for God and, 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 and worship Him and, and enjoy our lives, our families, our jobs, and things all around us seem to be always messed up. Verse 3, thou hast showed thy people hard things. We go through tough times. Thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. Now, I'm not going to dive into that, that second half of the verse there, but uh, some of the different notes I was reading talking about the wine of astonishment, it talks about the intoxicating of the brain. It talks about, and we all know this, the drinking of alcohol causes a lack, lack in judgment, a lack in, uh, uh, I mean, so many things can happen because of the consumption of alcohol. And it seems that's kind of what's, our judgments aren't always right. We don't always make the right decisions because of upheaval that's happening. And that's kind of what the comparison uh, David is making here God, you've shown us some hard times. It feels like we can't do anything right because it, it seems like we're all like drunk people. But he gives hope in spite of the negativity there, in spite of the afflictions that are happening. Um, verse number four, thou, it almost should be like, but thou hast given us a banner. 
to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Letter B, Israel had to be brought low so that God's banner of triumph could be lifted up for all to see. I skipped that parentheses. I'll get there in a second. But Israel had to be brought low so that God's banner of triumph could be lifted up for all to see. Now, this banner of triumph was kind of God reminding them of His promise. So, that's what goes in the parentheses there, the certainty of God's promise. Throughout history, we, we, we think of a banner, of a flag, as being like a rallying cry. Um, was it World War II? Please forgive me for my history. Good, Chris, Chris isn't here. Chris Weber, who's our history buff. Where was the, the flag planted with the, the Iwo Jima? Uh, I, I did know that, World War II. I, I did know that. I just didn't want to say something incorrectly. But that, that flag being planted was a big deal. People that uh, will, will scale the Mount Everest at the top, they want to they plant this flag saying, this is what I was able to accomplish. In sports, many teams have their, their rallying cry. I remember back, I think it was 2002, when the Angels won the World Series, they had their rally monkey. That was kind of their, their symbol. They were going to rally around this monkey. The, <laughs> the, the Steelers have their terrible towels that they can wave to, to kind of spur their team on. We could probably think of many different sports teams and situations where they, they need a rallying cry. I think, well, what do we have as Christians? What's our rallying cry? I think you all know what it is. We've got God's Word. So when things get tough for us, when, when we go through those hard times, when we feel our judgments are impaired for, for whatever reasons, we can just pause and gather ourselves and say, wait a minute, we as Christians today, we have God's Word. That's all we need to be our rallying cry to say, you know what, God, you've given me promises. You've given me the strength that I can just keep pushing on through these tough times. And so I think that's what David's kind of driving at in verse number four there, the the banner, the flag, the, the, that rallying cry that he needed to give to his troops to keep pushing forward. For us, it's God's Word today, which is just really great. So Israel's affliction at the time, can, they can get through it because of God's promises that he's going to plant his banner for them. The, thou hast given us a banner because of, the, oh, the, yeah, because of the truth, because of God's promises. Number three. Okay, so we had Israel's affliction. Now we have David's confidence in God. David's confidence in God is found in verses 5 through 8. Uh, letter A, we're going to see where this is seen. How, we, how do we know David has confidence in God? This is seen in David's prayer for God to deliver, save, and hear him. For God to deliver, save, and hear him. Verse number 5, that thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand, and hear me. Verse 6, God hath spoken in His holiness. Okay, do we, ever, do we ever cry out for God to deliver us, to save us from certain situations, to hear us? We know, we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God hears us. But don't we find ourselves, God, please, please listen to me. Please hear what I have to say. We know the, the promise is there, but still we, cry, we have that cry. Uh, but David's confidence, knowing that God will deliver, God will save, God will hear him. Letter B, because of God's holiness, because of God's holiness, David will rejoice in God's promises. Now, we're gonna, the, the idea of God's promise is going to be repeated even in the next point as well. 
oh, I think it's a little kid's song. I remember some of you were around when Pat Casey was here. It's been a while. Some of you know Pat Casey. He's looking back to Harlan there. We remember Pat Casey from years, years, years ago. But he was an assistant pastor here for a stretch. Um, I was always amazed how he, here at Faith, we do Bible schools way different than when I was in high school, the church I went to at the time did Bible schools. But they're apples and oranges. They're both phenomenal. But Pat Casey would lead the singing for the, the kids. It, it wasn't the hallelujah, hallelujahs, which is it's so fun watching the kids get all excited. It was just some of these little truthful songs. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. All our blessings of his love divine. Every promise in the book is I love little songs like that because they speak little truths. All the promises that God gives to us that God gave to David, he could hold on to. And he says there in verse number six, God hath spoken in his holiness. God's holy. He cannot lie. When he gives a promise, he's going to fulfill those promises. And that's what David was holding on to. Now, specifically, what he's talking about underneath letter B there, the promises that God gave that Israel would occupy all of the land that God had promised. I'm kind of just giving a generality there. That's what's happening in verse number six. Uh, David says, I will divide Shechem and meet out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim's my strength, Judah's my lawgiver. These were all regions within Israel that were under Israel's control or at least at one time used to be. And it, uh, J- J- uh, David's kind of looking back saying, I want these regions to once again be under my control, to be under our control that we can use this land to glorify you. And that's kind of what David's talking about here. God promised the land to them, and they just, let's bring it back to us. But secondly, and that Israel's enemies would continue to be vanquished. Okay, here he's specifically in verse number eight, Moab is my wash pot. You wash your hands, you wash your feet in that dirty water, that's Moab. Okay, these are our enemies. Goes on there, Edom will I cast out my shoe. <laughs> I had to read a couple, what a couple of different people had to say. What's, what's, that, what's that talking about? I guess the one that made most sense to me, it was like when foot washing was a huge deal in those days because they would walk everywhere and they would get dirty feet. And so the idea of taking off your sandal and who would you, who would you give your shoes to when you're about to have your feet washed? You'd probably give them to a slave, some, a servant who was going to come wash your feet. They would set your sandals aside and then they would wash your feet. Okay, toss your shoes to the Edomites because they're Israel's servant now. Keep them that way. Okay, God would, you know, continue to have our enemies vanquished. Uh, end of verse number eight, Philistia. He wants Philistia to, try, to, to shout out, triumph thou because of me. For one day, finally, for the Philistines to be vanquished, that they can look up and say, yep, Israel, we're in subservitude to you. You're the ones that we're going to serve. We're not going to keep fighting against you anymore. We give up. That was, that's where David wanted to get to so that no more battles, no more Moabites and Ammonites and Edomites and Philistines, just peace. And that would happen for the most part under Solomon until later on more armies would come. And don't we want peace in our life? I don't know about you, years ago, one of my favorite words I would try to stick with was the word peace. And any hymns that we would sing in church that had the idea of peace and it was just we just, we want that peace. We want some calmness. We want, we don't want all the different pressures and hardships and, and lack of judgment. And we just want things to be 
nice. And I, I, do you guys feel the same way? I'm waiting for... I would think so. That, that's kind of what David was hoping for. So he's reflecting back. He just got through all these battles in, in 2 Samuel chapter 8. He's looking back saying, okay, God, give us the land that we've been promised. Give us victory over our enemies and that everything can be well. He dives down in the verse number... Uh, the, the, sorry, we're going to look at uh, number four in the notes, kind of bringing it all together. How does all this happen? How do we get the peace? How do we get delivered from our enemies? How do we get rid of some of those hardships? Number four, God's help in all situations. It's God's help that we need to look forward to. Once again, letter A, known because of God's promises. Verse number nine, who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? Wilt not thou, O God, which hadst cast us off? And thou, O God, which did not go out with our armies? There was a time, God, you weren't with us. We weren't following you, and so you weren't with us like we wanted. Okay? You, you did not cast off our enemies. We were in trouble. Pastors have been going through this a lot with the Judges series. Israel's continually being beaten down because of their whole cycle of sin and being a slave and just all the different things that Israel went through throughout their history, we go through some of the same things. We don't feel like God's close to us because we may be far from Him and causing these things to happen. So I, I put that little quote I found by one of the authors. I can't remember which one it was. I should have given credit to it. But faith believes that the final fulfillment of the promise is going to take place in spite of contrary appearances for a time. And what that's saying is, even though we go through tough times or we wander away from God and His promises aren't being fulfilled because God wants us to, to serve Him, to obey Him, to, to fulfill our obligations. So we feel we're moving away from God, but faith brings us back once again under God's control and then God's promises are fulfilled. Letter B, it's not in our own strength or in the strength of others, but it is only, and as the end of verses 11, let's read, we can finish that up by reading verses 11 and 12 once again. David cries out in verse number 11, give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. The first place we want to go to when we're in tough, going through tough times, first of all, at least for me sometimes, is let me trust in myself. I'm going to Pull, pull myself up by the bootstraps, I'm going to get through this situation. And it doesn't work. And then we cry out to somebody else for years and years and years. I, I still remember back in 1999 when I was hired at Lebanon Christian Academy to be a teacher. I was scared to death. I had taught Sunday school for years. I was used to doing that. But now I'm about to teach in a classroom situation and I wasn't quite ready for it. And I remember the first thing I wanted to do was call pastor up and say, Pastor, let me, can I talk these things out with you? But every August was his vacation time. And so he was gone and there was no way to get a hold of him. So it's like, okay, now I get to go to who I should have gone to first. And except now I'm, I was, for me, it was third. It was myself and it was pastor. And then it's like, where should I have gone all along? Okay, David says, give us help from trouble for vain is the help of man. Through God, we shall do valiantly. For he it is that shall tread down our enemies. We know this here 
And we've experienced it in the past, but let's experience it again. When we go through those hardships like Israel was going through, how do we get through them? How do we get the victories that David talked about two weeks ago in uh, Psalm 18? How, do, how are all these things accomplished? It's through God, through the strength that we get from Him. It, it can't come from anywhere else. It's got to come from God, our, <laughs> our great God that we have. You know this, I know this, but it's neat to see David reflecting back on it through all the difficulties that he had gone through in his life leading up to this point. He is able to reflect back. Now, next week we do have one more lesson before we kind of jump into all the missions conference stuff in March. So even though next week is a new quarter in some respects for the kids and for the high schoolers, uh, we'll still have Sunday school next week. Pastor Art will be leading that lesson. But uh, it's just a joy to be able to go through these different psalms and kind of dissect them. Pastor Art's going to kind of spell out just how we can take some of these truths to look at the Psalms, find the historical context, see what's happening, and be able to see exactly what David and some of these writers are are talking about. But let's do what David said there. Let's make sure we keep our focus on God and not on ourselves, not on others to get the strength that we need through different situations. Father, thank you so much for these folks and for the, for the time we've had to, to look at Psalm 60, to look at some of the things that were happening in David's life that led up to him writing this psalm. And the truths especially, even though we go through tough times, the afflictions, the, the, the situations that seem to, to overwhelm us, we do have the confidence in you because of your promises. We need to spend that time talking to you in prayer to help get us through these situations and then completely, completely rely on your strength. Your strength is what's going to bring us through these situations. So help us to keep doing that. Bless in our service to follow. We look forward to what you have in store for us in the morning service. Bless our fellowship now for your glory. We pray in your name. Amen.